Our scripture reading is from our sermon text in Daniel chapter 10, the first 14 verses. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face on the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Prescott, can you come lead us in prayer? We come now to the final literary section, the tenth portion of the book of Daniel. And this is actually the longest literary section in Daniel, this tenth and final section that covers Daniel's chapter 10, 11, and 12. Now, if you sit down and you read Daniel 10, 11, and 12 straight through in one sitting, it will look like absolute chaos to you. It did to me when I sat down and read it this week. The whole section straight through. And the reason it looks so chaotic and so violent, so mystifying, is because the angel doesn't stop to give Daniel names. He just says that this one did this, this king did this, then that one, that king did that. One kingdom rises and then another conquers and on and on and on again. It's really a baffling prophecy on its face. But it is fitting because remember we've been looking at how the ten sections of Daniel match up with the Ten Commandments and this of course relates to the Tenth Commandment which is of course you shall not covet or desire your neighbor's house, wife, servants, animals or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And that's what we see in Daniel chapters 10 through 12. One kingdom covets or desires another which generates this extended time of war, upheaval and absolute confusion. And that's really what covetousness brings. We can see that in our day. Covetousness brings conflict as one desires another, etc. And this system of chaos and the system of, of conflict 
gets underway. Now, as I have tried to show you in this series, Daniel, as an apocalyptic book, builds on itself as we go. And so when we get to later parts of Daniel, Daniel is reaching back in the parts that he's already introduced to us and building on the story that he's already been revealing. We see that in verse 20 of chapter 10 when the angel mentions fighting against the prince of Persia and then in next sequence, the coming of the prince of Greece. Notice verse 20 of chapter 10. He says, So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia and then I, when I go, the prince of Greece will come. That sequence, of course, was first introduced to us all the way back with Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2 because remember, Persia comes second after Babylon. The kingdom has already been given over from Babylon to Persia. That's where Daniel is right now in his context. And this angel tells Daniel that he's going to fight against Persia just like the Lord had fought against Belshazzar and Babylon to give it to to Persia. Now the kingdom would be given over to Greece. And so this is building on everything that is coming before us. Just one little example of how that works. That's the way apocalyptic literature builds on top of itself, unfolding and unflowering as the reader meditates and studies and diligently tries to comprehend God's Word. The development of Daniel chapter 10 through 12 is specifically an exposition of what will happen during the 70 weeks we studied in Daniel 9. So that the end of this section in Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12 actually coincides with the end of the 70 weeks that we studied back in Daniel chapter 9. Now we saw something similar to this with Daniel chapter 7 and 8. Remember Daniel chapter 7 introduces four beasts. And Daniel 7 was actually given in Aramaic. And then we have this sort of recapitulation in Daniel chapter 8 where we have more beasts but it's, in, it's written in Hebrew and it's giving a different perspective. So Daniel 8 builds on chapter 7. Well, it's the very same thing here with Daniel chapter 10 through 12. It is building on what we saw with the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Because what these chapters are, what the prophecies are in these chapters, Daniel's 10 to 12, is merely an extension or exposition of what is to take place during the prophesied 70 weeks. This is an exposition of what's going to take place in the 70 weeks. Now what that literary structure means is that a fulfilled view of the 70 weeks in Daniel 9 really requires a fulfilled view of Daniel's Daniel chapter 10 through 12. And I saw this very profoundly when I was dissecting, watching how the literary structure of this works. The literary structure of Daniel's 10 through 12 matches the 70 weeks back in Daniel chapter 9. And conversely, we could say it this way, a futurist view of Daniel chapter 10 through 12 would really imply a futurist view of the 70 weeks in Daniel chapter 9 because they're matched, they're, they're parallel. And we'll see how that works. So once we understand that relationship, then we can make a statement that brings the two sections together because what we'll find in Daniel chapter 12 is that Daniel 12 is a passage about resurrection. And we're going to see how that actually relates today as well. But we could say that 70 weeks are determined for the resurrection because these two passages overlay each other. So I'll let you think about the power of that statement when we look at the the structure here of this final literary section of Daniel. Now there's something else that we need to understand about this final literary section before we go into the details. Daniel 10-12 is one huge poetic chiasm. And if you remember, a few weeks ago we talked about the chiasm in Daniel's prayer. And we saw how 
Daniel would rhyme ideas in his prayer so that the whole prayer is very ornate poetry along with being good theology it's also poetry and we saw how that structure worked A, B, C, D and then C, B, A so Daniel's prayer would march its way from the outside to the middle which we saw in Daniel's prayer was the acknowledgement that Israel had broken the covenant and that God had brought about the covenant curses that he promised back in uh, the giving of the law and then Daniel marched his way back out to the beginning where he started with his prayer. Remember we had talked about how in our day that's a little different for us because we think of poetry as rhyming sounds. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, right? That's the modern American way of poetry. Well, Hebraic poetry was different because it rhymed ideas. And we're going to see here, Daniel's 10 through 12 is one huge poetic chiasm in that Daniel is going to be rhyming ideas. We're going to get to a center point and a pivot point, and then we're going to work our way back out. But it's a very large section, so it's very difficult to handle all at once. I'll give you an example of how this works. Look at Daniel 10, verse 2. And this, this structure is very important to get right because it's going to help us interpret the passage. Daniel 10, verse 2. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. What's going on here? Well, Daniel is mourning. Now look at the very end of Daniel chapter 12, the last verse. What do we have? See if this idea rhymes. Verse 13. As for you, that would be Daniel, go your way till the end, you will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. That's a rhyming idea. The beginning rhymes with the end. Because at the beginning, Daniel is mourning. And at the end, we see how Daniel receives this promise of relief. So rhyming ideas. The next parallel is the very next verse in Daniel chapter 10, verse 3. We see, all right, um, verse 2, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food nor meat. No meat or wine touched my lips and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. What's going on in that verse? A set period of time, right? Set period of time. Now look at the last verse of chapter 12, second to last verse of chapter 12. We have the very same rhyming idea. Verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. It rhymes. A set time. So, as Daniel works his way into this, he's going to pivot and he's going to work his way back out. We can see those rhyming ideas at the beginning and the ending of the chiastic structure. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what those days are and how they connect to the beginning, but in Daniel 9... One more bit of introduction that we really need to have before we can go into the details of this section. In Daniel 9, we saw how Daniel's experience of 70 years captivity at the beginning of the section related to the 70 weeks prophecy at the end. Remember, Daniel was reading Jeremiah the prophet and had learned from the word of the Lord given to the prophet Jeremiah that the captivity would be 70 years. And once he understood that, the angel comes and reveals to him the 70 weeks prophecy. And so there's a link between the beginning of Daniel chapter 9 and the end of Daniel chapter 9 of that particular section. Now I believe we have the same thing here with Daniel's three-week ordeal because what you have the three-week ordeal at the beginning, this three weeks of mourning, is a miniature of this entire ordeal that God's people would experience during the full 70 weeks. 
And by the way, I believe that explains the numbers 1290 and 1335 in Daniel 12. I take the 1290 days at the end of Daniel chapter 12 as a symbolic number taken from Israel's history. Think of where Israel is. Babylon captivity is now over. Persia is where the context is. And then there is going to be a Greek era, era, and then there was going to be a Roman era. Three more eras. We'll take the time of Israel's captivity in Egypt, 430, multiply it by three, and you get 1290. And then the angel says to Daniel, Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. So we're adding 45 more days on top of that. And if you look, at, continue on with that, with that number from Israel's history, 45 days was how long it took for the conquest of the promised land to take place under Joshua's invasion of Canaan land. So what we have here is a symbolic number at the end of Daniel chapter 12, three sets, symbolically three sets of the number of years that Israel was in captivity in Egypt, matching the three kingdoms still left, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And that matches the three-week mourning period right at the beginning of this section, just like we have the 70 years captivity matches the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. Some very same thing going on here. So this particular, these particular days are symbolic of the time of which of the entire 70 weeks and the blessing would come to those who would last to the end of the 1335 days which I would take as the apostolic age or the, where the new Joshua has a new conquest of a new promised land. So we can look at this section as a lot like Daniel 9. Daniel undergoes a three-week mourning period experience and that was a microcosm of what all of Israel is going to experience for these 1290 days and actually 1335 days when you add in the apostolic age. And after Daniel goes through his mourning period, he sees God, receives help, and is raised up. And we see the same thing going on in Daniel chapter 12 because we're going to find out that Israel was going to experience these this 1290 days they were going to see God receive help and be raised up and so actually there's not just the issue of time here at the beginning of the section and the end of the section there's the idea of resurrection at the beginning of the section and at the end of the section one for Daniel the experience of Daniel would be a microcosm for Israel now with that long winded introduction let us go to our text now in verse 1 in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Interesting name to bring up here because Belteshazzar was Daniel's Babylonian name, and yet the Babylonian captivity was long past. Or was it? Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. What's going on here? Note the time of the vision. This is the third year of Cyrus. And if we remember back from last time, that's two years after Cyrus issued his decree for the Jews to return to Jerusalem. But something is wrong. Continue in verse 2. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Now this is strange. When the people were supposed to be rejoicing, Daniel is in mourning. Why is that? Why is Daniel mourning here? 
Well, first consider what Daniel was told back in Daniel 9. Daniel was praying, remember, for the sin of his people and that God would return his people to the land and cause his name to dwell there on the holy hill. Daniel was praying for the rebuilt temple, that God would fulfill his promise to Jeremiah and cause his people to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And yet, what message did Gabriel give to Daniel in 9, 25 and 26? The angel says, verse 25, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Verse 26, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now put yourself in Daniel's shoes. He's praying for the reconstruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the angel comes and tells him, yes, it will be reconstructed and then it will be destroyed at some point in the future. Now what would Daniel understand from that? he would understand that his people would again break the covenant and bring down God's judgment. They would be destroyed again. Now it also may be that Daniel went into mourning because of developments in Jerusalem at this particular time. We can read some parallel passages and see what's going on in Jerusalem by going to Ezra chapter 4. Go to Ezra chapter 4. This may be another cause for Daniel's mourning. Ezra 4, verse 1, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him ever since the time of Eshardun, king of Assyria, who brought us here. He's got Assyrians wanting to build the temple. It's a bit of a problem. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. And here's what happened. About the same time that Daniel goes into mourning. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors, that would be lawyers, to work against them and and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. What's God doing? The decree was that the people were to go back and build. And yet when they get there, what do they find? All kinds of obstacles, all all kinds of resistance. And so Daniel had been fasting for the entire first month. Notice verse 4. Daniel 10, verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, we read by this, the timing here, like it's just numbers on a page. What if I told you, what if I put it this way? And the President of the United States went into mourning and fasting on the fourth day of the seventh month. Would that ring a bell? The 4th of July? What if the President goes into fasting on the 4th of July? Wouldn't that say something? Well, in the Hebrew calendar, Daniel is in fasting for almost the entire first month. What is supposed to go on on the first month in the Hebrew calendar? What feast? Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So instead of participating in Passover, what is Daniel doing? He is going into mourning and fasting. Very significant at the time. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms 
and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Passover. Daniel has foregone Passover likely because of the powerful resistance to reconstruction and because of the knowledge that his people would again one day in the future break covenant with God. So what is Daniel showing by foregoing Passover? He is showing that this deliverance of his people is not the final deliverance that God's people need. This deliverance during the days of Cyrus is a shadow, a picture of something to come at the end of the age, at the end of the 70 weeks, when sin would be put away forever. But now we have a problem. What happens to those who do not have a Passover sacrifice? Think back to the story of Exodus. The Israelites slaughter the lamb at twilight, place the blood on the doorpost, and have a midnight meal. The Egyptians do not have a sacrifice. They do not have blood on the doorpost. And what happens? The angel of the Lord shows up in Egypt, and the firstborn of all the Egyptians are killed. Daniel doesn't have a Passover sacrifice. Daniel has no blood covering. And God shows up. Because who is this person that shows up? Who does Daniel see? He saw a man above the water. Who is this man? Well, who wears linen garments and a costly sash with a body that appears blue like the sky? All this description here is real important. And if you read it like a Hebrew, you know exactly who he's talking about. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 28 and we'll see this description. Exodus chapter 28, verse 31. This is the priestly garment. Make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth. And the reason the high priests were to wear blue cloth is because they were installed in the heavenlies. They were in the sky. They were like a star in the heavenlies. Now, verse 39. Weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of embroider. Notice the sash there. Same thing that Daniel sees. Make tunic sashes and headbands for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor. And after you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them. Remember, Daniel's not anointing, not using any oil. Consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Remember we, in the series on God's garden, we talked about why it was supposed to be linen. Why was the high priest supposed to wear linen? And really only when he goes into the temple. Because linen is cool, and so he does not sweat. Right, sweat is the picture of the curse. And so he wears clothes that don't make him sweat. Because as a high priest in God's presence, he is symbolically in, in perfect communion with God and not subject to the curse. And so this description in Daniel chapter 10, 4, I looked up, that's if he's looking up over the river, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, that'd be blue. His face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, that'd be like the skin of, a, of an Israelite and his voice like the sound of a multitude. So who is this that he sees above the river? Daniel sees the true high priest of Israel enthroned above the water. And Daniel is seeing a vision, of course, of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate vision of the messenger of the covenant. 
Jesus is the high priest. And we can confirm this identification by going to Revelation chapter 1, 12 and 15 and comparing John's vision there of the Messiah, of Jesus, with Daniel's vision here. It's the same guy. So he's seeing the second person of the Trinity enthroned above the waters. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And also, the imagery here includes the idea that God appears above the waters. Just like in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel sees God enthroned above the waters and that goes all the way back to creation where God sat enthroned above the waters. Notice that something both amazing and terrible happens next. Remember, Daniel has no Passover sacrifice. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. What happened to Daniel? When God showed up and there's no Passover sacrifice, there's no blood covering, Daniel is killed in a sense. Notice that his face turned deathly pale, verse 8. Same language as what happened back in Daniel chapter 5 when the hand showed up with a handwriting on the wall to Belshazzar. Belshazzar's face turned pale like Belshazzar was under judgment at the feast, the pagan feast, with a handwriting on the wall. So Daniel finds himself under God's judgment and his face turns deathly pale and he falls to the ground in a deep sleep. Actually, in Hebrew, the deep sleep there is not a normal word for sleep. It is something very, very unusual in the Hebrew. It is a very special kind of sleep. It is the sleep next to death. If we go back in the Old Testament, we'll see that Daniel, I mean, sorry, Adam underwent a deep sleep in the garden and then also Abraham underwent a deep sleep. So this is drawing the connection and the parallel of this death sleep that Daniel goes into. But Daniel has undergone judgment. Like Belshazzar back in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel is undergoing judgment to death. Daniel falls to the ground when the angel of Yahweh showed up and this fits the Passover details we saw earlier. Exactly what happens to those who do not have the Passover sacrifice. So the angel of the Lord strikes Daniel down into a deep sleep. Verse 10, a hand. Have you seen the hints here? Verse 1, we have the word Belteshazzar as in pay attention. Remember what happened to Belteshazzar? Belteshazzar versus Belshazzar back in Daniel chapter 5, the two sons of Nebuchadnezzar. Then we had the face changing, just like Belshazzar back in Daniel chapter 5. And then the hand, a hand, touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Remember what the hand did during Belshazzar's apostate feast? The hand wrote the judgment on the wall in front of the light from the golden candlestick. Now the hand pronounces judgment again. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words that I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Daniel is judged, but is not judged to the destruction of death like Belshazzar. Daniel is judged to life. Righteous Daniel is raised up by the hand. And we have a resurrection here of Daniel. Of course, Daniel is a messianic figure in this, in this passage picturing Jesus, Christ, the true Passover lamb. And I want you to step back a minute to look at this from the sequence here. In the New Testament, we have in John chapter 17 what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. 
And I have called the, priest, the prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 the high priestly prayer of Daniel. And if you go back and you look at the New Testament, what happens right after the high priestly prayer of Jesus? Right after John 17, we have the arrest of Jesus and his crucifixion. And so we have a picture here of what the gospel is all about in Daniel's experience because Daniel prays a high priestly prayer for the sin of his people and then he offers himself in a symbolic sense as a living sacrifice for the guilt of his people. Daniel was willing to die for his people. And this is nothing new because Moses did the same thing. Moses offered the same thing back in his day. Yet in our text, God raises up righteous Daniel just as God raised up Jesus from the grave. And this is really Daniel's death, burial, and resurrection. And it sets the pattern for Israel's death, burial, and resurrection that we'll see coming up at the end of the chiastic structure. At the very end in Daniel chapter 12. Now notice that God speaks to Daniel right after his death experience. Verse 12. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So Daniel undergoes this death, burial, and resurrection experience and then he is told about the future. And there's a pattern there too because Adam, going back to the garden again, Adam undergoes a death experience in the garden, sin death, when he sinned against God. When he ate from the tree of the knowledge knowledge of good and evil, Adam experienced sin death and after that sin death, God came and spoke to Adam about the future. Right? Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between you that would be the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel see the same thing happening in the garden here that's, that's happening right here with Daniel same with Abraham after Abraham Abraham listened to his wife and underwent his fall God appeared to him in the very next chapter and then Abraham fell face down onto the ground his death burial and God told him the future I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. So recognize that what happens here fits in the pattern that we see all through the Old Testament of a death sentence followed by God's word, the prophecy about the future. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. What we'll look at in the next few weeks is a traumatic and difficult time in the history of God's people and the coming of the Messiah, the 70-week period. It will be filled with danger for God's people, as we'll see. This period will be like the Egyptian captivity and the Israel will be subjected to the power, powers of Nebuchadnezzar's dream even while they lived in the Promised Land. We're going to see that the 70 weeks is actually an extension of or a bigger picture of the Babylonian captivity because even while Israel is in the promised land they are subjected to the authorities of Persia one captivity the authorities of Greece two captivities and the authorities of Rome three captivities which is the basis for the 1290 days at the end of the, of, of the, of the literary section then Michael the prince would stand up 
or following the dream back in Daniel 2, then a rock not cut out by human hands would strike the statue, breaking it and filling the entire land as the gospel went out in the first century to that entire world. But Daniel's prophecy was given to God's people who lived between the times, those who patiently waited for the 70 weeks to pass, just as Daniel and Israel had waited patiently for the 70 years of Jeremiah's prophecy to pass. And this vision gives, given to Daniel was really for them. It was a message that those who lived during the 70 weeks, that when you fall, and they would fall, we're going to see in this prophecy, in this long prophecy, how the Jews were going to time and again fall down. When they fell, they would also be strengthened by God's word and God's touch. By the prophecies given here, the righteous would need to believe God's word by faith and live by faith in God's word, what God had said through the prophet Daniel. Deliverance would come at the appointed time just as deliverance and resurrection had come to Daniel after his appointed time of mourning and fasting, the three weeks of mourning and fasting. There's also something else that this vision communicated to the intertestamental believers. Daniel saw the true high priest of Israel arrayed in majesty. And there's no coincidence that Daniel's vision starts there. Why is that important? Because there were some very terrible things that were about to happen to God's temple and to the priests during the 70 weeks. We're going to see some hist- historical development in this prophecy and in, in historical records where the true priest from the line of Zadok is slaughtered in the temple. That's a big deal because what they did was somebody wanted to buy the office of high priest and the, the ruler at the time agreed to killing off the line of Zadok. And once you kill off the line of Zadok, there are no more legitimate priests. And if there are no legitimate priests, there are no legitimate sacrifices in the temple. And so this vision of the high priest of Israel that Daniel sees at the very beginning is something that's very important because the people needed to understand that no matter what happened to the Jews while they lived in these three nations, these three nations that are left, Persia, Greece, and Rome, they still had a high priest in God's true temple who continued to cover the sins of the godly. And we're going to see some amazing things happen, some crazy things happen. One example of how bad it gets here in this 70 weeks period. You have an example where the priests take 400 of their opponents, those who are protesting the profanity that these priests are doing in the temple, and they crucify them on crosses. And they do this right in the middle of a banquet. And then, while these men, the godly, are up on the cross, on their own crosses, these ruling priests bring in their families and they butcher them right in front of these men on the crosses. So at the very beginning of this vision, Daniel gives a projection of the true high priest of Israel that God's holy people could recognize and have faith in no matter what happened in the temple, no matter what happened to the priesthood, no matter what the desolation and debauchery that took place, they would have a true high priest to cover the sins of the godly by faith during this 70 weeks. That's why Daniel's vision of the future begins with a vision of Christ, the true high priest. Now, there's other things too. There are going to be great temptations during the 70 weeks, actually things that we can really relate to. There's going to be a temptation for God's people to be governed by current events as opposed to God's word as these different kings fight over the Holy Land and authority in, in the beautiful land. And 
they learn that they are not to be governed by current events but by God's word and we can learn the same lesson as well and we can even have greater confidence knowing that Daniel's prophecy has been fulfilled since Jesus Christ the true Passover lamb has completed the salvation of his people and of course our high priest will be high priest forever and ever so we have no reason to mourn for the bridegroom has come let's pray our father we thank you for what you've done for us for our heritage and our history as your people may we strive to understand our calling in terms of the history that you have ordained behind us that we might understand what lies before us pray for your strength and wisdom in the days to come as we continue to work to extend your kingdom and your glory in the world around us in Jesus Christ's name we pray these things